I've told you all this lots of times, and you know this is not any secret, but every spring I have the opportunity to coach young kids in baseball. And, um, and one of the things that I notice as kids get older is that so many of them have been overcoached. And what I mean by that is they've, they've been told a bunch of things they don't really understand, and they're expected to do that stuff, and then they get to a point where they don't know how to do anything because they got a bunch of mixed messages going through their mind, and it's really complicated for them. And so one of the things that I try to discipline myself to do, because I have the tendency to be a little over-analytical. That's just the way that I work, just a tad. And so uh, not that anybody understands how that one is, but I have a tendency... Just a little bit, Mark. I have a tendency to be a little over analytical, and so sometimes I give too much information to the kids. And so I I try to discipline myself to say, you know what, take this complicated thing, whatever it may be, like like hitting a baseball. Do you realize that major league hitters on a below average major league fastball, just take a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, leaving the pitcher's hand, his foot is 60 feet 6 inches from the plate, but when he releases it, he's somewhere around 50 two feet, 53, maybe 54 at the the very most, he's releasing that ball, and the hitter has four-tenths of a second to see the ball, recognize what kind of pitch it is, where it's going, and then he has, in that same time, uh, maybe about two-tenths of a second uh, included in that to swing the bat and hit the ball square. It's a complicated process. But I try to tell the kids, look, you know what hitting is about? Hitting is about taking the big part of the bat to the ball as quickly and with as much power as you possibly can. Take the barrel of the bat to the ball. We try to make it real, real simple. I say all that because what we're going to talk about this morning can be kind of a complicated thing. At least we make it complicated. We're going to talk about God's will for your life. Now, some of you say, well, you know, I've been trying to find God's will for my life for the last 75 years, and I I still have not found that needle in the haystack. It's there somewhere. I know it is. Some of you are frustrated today because you don't feel like that you have found God's will for your life, and and you just kind of feel empty. It's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing nothing with my life because I'm not... I'm not feeling like I'm really in the sweet spot. Some today you say, you know what, I, I, I feel like that's where I am. I mean, it doesn't seem to be that complicated to me. We're all envious of you, but the center of God's will for some, you might say, and I've heard this said many times before. Uh, I had a pastor that I, that I worked for. He said this all the time. He said, he said, the center of God's will is the safest place to be. And, and I always thought about that, and I thought, well, hold on a second. Now, I've read some stories of Christian missionaries who were in the center of God's will, it seems, and they died because they were in the center of God's will. I'm not sure that describing it as the safest place to be is the right way to put it. And so this morning, I hope that we can kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, help you understand some of of how to make this seemingly complicated thing of finding God's will for your life maybe a little more simple. And so if you've you've been confused, you say, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be. What does God want from me? And maybe today will help. So if you've got a Bible handy, you've got your little hand out there, turn with me to to Matthew. We're going to look at, uh, or Luke rather, I'm sorry, Luke. We're going to look at part of the first chapter of Luke, uh, part of the Christmas story. And... We're going to look at one character that, that you're very, very familiar with in the Christmas story. And we're, we're in the second week of a long series called The Way of the Master. 
And I, I mentioned last week, there's several different, different ways you can learn, but I think one of the, the most effective ways to learn anything is to have an apprenticeship under somebody who's really good at what they're doing. If you want to be a, an electrician, then you would have an apprenticeship under a master electrician, somebody who really understands what they're doing. And the disciples got to have that under Jesus. He, he was the master. And then they wrote about what it's like to live in the way of the master. And so that's really what we're doing. It's a study of the life of Christ from Christmas time through a little bit past Easter. That's where we're studying. John 14 uh, is the beginning of that chapter. The disciples are asking Jesus, how, you know, how can we get to where you're going? You're telling us you're going away to prepare a place for us, but we don't know the way. Jesus responded in verse 6 of chapter 14 in John. He said, I'm the way. Just follow me. And so that's the whole goal behind this. If I had one goal as your pastor, it would be that each person in the church, every single person, would simply walk in the way of our master, Jesus Christ. I don't need you to follow me any particular direction. I just want you to follow him. And I think that if we're each following him, we'll be on the right path and we'll be the church that God wants us to be. And so that's what this series is about. So uh, in in Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at a character whose name was Mary. The, the mother of Jesus. And, and the, really the beginning episode of her when she discovered she would be the mother of Jesus. And we're going to talk to, today about a word that you'll see there in the title called submission. Now, you know, I remember first encountering the word submission when I watched Hulk Hogan and uh, in, in the WWF wrestlers. And they would get somebody in a submission hold and they'd have to tap out. You know, I'm done. That's it. Submission is typically viewed as something weak that you've been defeated and you've got to tap out. It's over. You know, you cry uncle or whatever it was back in your day. Submission is often viewed in very negative terms. It's not something we like. Uh, you know, in, in our world today, we don't like to talk about we should submit to someone else. Uh, we, we, we should give ourselves over to this or that. It, it's viewed as weakness and you're your own person and whatever. But in the Bible, submission is one of the greatest virtues and if you want to live a godly Christian life, then you, you have got to understand and get on board with the idea of submission. When you submit to the, the way of the master, and that, that's really why I'm going to give you the point of the sermon up front today, and then you can, you can do with the rest what you need to. I want you this morning to make a commitment to submit to the way of Jesus, the way of the master, because I really believe that it's not the safest place to be, but the center of God's will is the best place to be. You, you've heard that many times before, and I want to I help you understand why it's the best place to be. And we're going to look at Mary's story because she found herself in the middle, right in the center of God's will for her life, and it was not what she had always dreamed of. It was not what she had always hoped her life would be. And yet it was the very best place for her to be. I want you to look with me, Luke chapter 1, look beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? 
The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. She has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Now I'll be honest with you, if an angel showed up to me and started talking about what God wanted to do in my life, I'd be totally cool with that. It would freak me out a little bit at first. But then I say, you know what, man, this is it. God is, he's, he sent an angel to tell me specifically and exactly what he wants me to do with my life. Trust me, most of us, we'd freak out at the first and we'd say, I know now. I mean, it's dawn. God has told me exactly what he wants me to, to do with my life. I, I, I'm right there. Or I, you know what, I need to give all this up and I need to change directions. And an angel showed up to me and told me that. I, I hate to break it to you, but odds are that's not going to happen. It was rare, even in Scripture, even in biblical times, it was rare for God to do this. He was doing something very unique in the world when he sent an angel to tell somebody. So don't expect to hear some voices. Uh, Don't expect to see some kind of vision. God may want to do that in your life, and I, I don't know. But I doubt, based upon history, that that's going to be the way that God shows you his will. So you say, well, how in the world do I find out? I mean, it is that needle in a haystack. I, I don't think, though, that even if an angel doesn't show up to you and specifically reveal to you God's word, I don't think that, it's, that God's will is as hidden as maybe we might think. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Write down these scripture references there on your notes. John chapter 6, verse 29. Here's just some quick stuff on how you can find God's will for your life at the very beginning of the sermon. John 6, 29, Jesus says, This is the will of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. You know, God's will for your life is to believe in Jesus. That's what he wants, first and foremost, and throughout your life, is to give your life, to place your faith in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you this, if you, if you believe in Jesus, then you are in God's will, at least as far as that is concerned. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Paul wrote these words, This is the will of God, your sanctification. That word sanctification is a fancy church word that simply means you becoming more like Jesus. So the will of God can boil down to, can be simplified at least to some degree to say, the will of God for you is to know Jesus and to become like Jesus. So maybe it's not as hidden as we might think. I think if you'll know your Bible and you'll understand these simple things, if you know your Bible, you'll know God's will for your life. Maybe some of us today are confused, and I've been there and understand how that's like. We don't know. I don't know what God wants me to do in this situation. I'm just not sure. How do I handle this? What's God's will for this decision in my life or that decision or whatever it may be? And sometimes, not always, but sometimes we don't understand what God's will for our lives is because we don't know God's word. You say, well, if an angel showed up, well, how about the 66 books that we already have? How about the book that God has already written to reveal His will for our lives? What about that? Just like Mary, we'll learn as we look at her story briefly this morning that the center of God's will where she found herself is always the best place to be, but it's not necessarily the easiest or the safest place. It's the best even when you experience what Mary did. The first couple of verses here, 26 to 29, Mary found out that being in the center of God's will is the best place to be even when you're scared to death. 
I mean, look at it again. The sixth month, the angel was sent by God to Nazareth to a virgin engaged to Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel comes to her, rejoice, and she, in verse 29, is what? Deeply troubled, scared to death. What in the world is going on? She could have been as young as 12 or 13 years old. We think of her as maybe this 26, 27-year-old young woman, sort of in our society, as marriage has been pushed back to different uh, age groups now and so on. She, back in, in Jewish times back then, they were very, very young. And an angel shows up to her. She probably didn't have that happen before. Not common there in Nazareth, apparently. And she's terrified. What in the world is going on? I wonder for you, what is it that God has really just overwhelmed you with And you know, you know he's been speaking to you on a certain thing, and you're just scared to death about it. I'm not sure what that would be. Maybe it's an area of spiritual growth or particular calling that he might have for you. I, I wonder, what is it about what God wants to do in your life that terrifies you? It could be that that may wind up being exactly where you need to be. Mary found herself in the middle of God's will, the best place to live, and it scared her to death. Young people, it will scare you to death in so many ways, probably socially at least, and maybe mostly, to live as if Jesus wants you to live. To become like Him, it may scare you to death. Because guess what? People are going to look at you like you've got three heads. What's the world's wrong with you? I've had it happen to me and I understand what it's like. So don't expect that if you live in the center of God's will, everybody's going to be cool with it. Odds are they're probably not. If you pay attention to the news, they're not really cool with it much anymore. But it's the best place to be. Mary's scared to death when Gabriel, an angel, comes with a word from the Lord, but she quickly learned that being scared about what God wants you to do doesn't have to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. The next couple of verses highlight a different area. When we start thinking about how God's will is the best place to be, it looked, at least to Mary, as Okay, I get what you're kind of saying, but this is impossible. Literally, this cannot happen. Look at it. Then the angel told her, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. Now listen, verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. He will call his name Jesus. And he'll be great and be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Hey, all right, everything's great. Mary, you're going to be a mother. I mean, what news could be more exciting than that. Verse 34, how can this be? Since I've not been intimate with a man. She never has sexual relations with a man before. How can I have a baby without the baby making process being there? Legitimate question. She's not lacking faith. She's saying, put two and two together here, angel. Gabriel again, was that it? Gabriel, how is this going to be possible? I don't understand. And maybe you look at what you know God wants you to do And you say, I don't have the resources to accomplish that. I mean, I don't have the training. I don't have the education. I don't have the money. I don't have the whatever. This is impossible. God, you've placed this on my heart. I know, I know, God, I get it, that you want me to be a part of this. You want me to do this. You want me to serve in this way, whatever it may be. But God, I can't do that. It's impossible. In Mary's situation, it literally, humanly speaking, was impossible for her to have a child at that point. There was no in vitro fertilization. This was the first example of that, and it was Holy Spirit-induced. She says, how is this going to happen? The angel really didn't have to remind her of the whole story of Abraham and Sarah having a baby when they were so old. 
or the parting of the Red Sea, or the Battle of Jericho when they marched around and the walls fell down, or even the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem by Nehemiah toward the end of the New Testament, when they rebuilt them in record time. There were no resources to pull any of that off, and yet God was in the business and is still in the business of doing the impossible. How will he accomplish the impossible in your life? I don't know. But I know this, if you never take the first step toward the impossible, you'll never see it happen. And I don't mean some financial windfall for you or some incredible victory that you name and claim like somebody might tell you to do on television. All I'm saying is if we never take the first step because we God no, there's no way that'll ever happen. God, there's no way that person will ever be reached. God, there's no way that I could ever be a part of this or that or whatever. God, I can't do this. I can't, I can't. If you continue to live in that world and never take a step toward what you know God wants you to do, even when it seems impossible, you'll never see the impossible happen in your life. And trust me, the impossible happening in your life will probably not be what you imagine. It will be better than that because God will do what he wants to do, the impossible. Jesus called very ordinary guys to be his disciples. You say, if you were starting a, a church, a movement, who would you call? Well, he did the impossible through guys who were uneducated. God overcame the, the inabilities of Moses that he had. Moses told him, God, this is impossible. You, I can't do this. And he sent him to Pharaoh anyway. David showed up on the battlefield against Goliath. A little guy puts the king's armor on. It overwhelms him. Here's a nine-foot-tall giant standing across, yelling and screaming at him, calling him a dog and all this kind of stuff. It's a really good story. And guess what? God does the impossible. We were condemned to death eternally by our sin. And God does something that appears to be foolish. He sends His Son to die on a cross. Does the impossible. And through that one act, God has forgiven the sin of all of us here. God overcomes the impossible. He always has. And He always will. Mary goes on, verse 31, learning that the center of God's will is the best place to be, even when it's a whole lot bigger than you. You will give birth to a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will be great, the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Mary was just an ordinary Jewish girl. And this is what God threw in her lap. You say, who am I? Who am I to do anything great on God's behalf? Mary had to ask the same questions. Her resume was just young, uneducated girl from Nazareth. Later on, one of the disciples would say, is there anything ever that's come out of Nazareth that's been any good? <laughs> that's where she's from. I grew up in that part of town in Louisville. They say that about me. But this wasn't, what about Mary, this wasn't about what Mary brought to the table. This was about what God was going to do. That was so much bigger than her. That it was about God and not her. And Mary could have said, "Going, God, you know, I don't have this. And Lord, this is too big for me to accomplish and so on. And I wonder what it is that God has placed before you that's bigger than you. I talked to some folks before the service who, Lord willing, in the very near future will be new parents. It's bigger than them. <laughs> Anybody who's ever had children, you know, oh, this is, oh, goodness. I'm not prepared I don't have it in me. I don't have what it takes. Maybe for you it's being a student. And maybe, maybe you're a, a traditional student. You're right out of high school and you're going on to college. And this is finals coming up. And I can't do it. It's bigger than me. Or maybe you're a non-traditional student. You say, you know what? I know that I need to go back to school for this or that or whatever. But I just don't know. 
Or maybe it's the aging process. And I see so many folks, and I know one day I'll be there, Lord willing, I'll make it to that point. Where the glory days are there, right? And they'd say, no, not so much. It's not so much what I thought it would be. It's, well, it's, it's bigger than what I can handle. Or maybe for you it's a habit that you need to start or need to break, and it's just bigger than what you feel like you have capacity for. It may be that there's something that you know God has put on your heart, and you say, God, it's just too big. I can't do it. Sometimes when you see something that God has put before you that's bigger than what you know you can handle, that is exactly where God wants you to be so that you'll learn to rely on Him and depend on Him. Mary, it says in verse 27, sent to a girl, a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. The center of God's will was going to cause her extreme hardship. There's a movie that came out several years ago called The Nativity Story. I don't know if you've seen that or not. And some of the, some of the, of course, the movie. So some of the stuff is really accurate and some of it's not. But what's interesting is how they portray Mary and Joseph when they leave Nazareth, knowing that, actually when she leaves, knowing that she's pregnant and everybody in the town, the village there knows it. And knowing also that she's unmarried, which would have carried an incredible stigma at that time. In fact, it was punishable by death at the time. It was considered adultery because she was already engaged to this man. And so she apparently has had an affair outside that relationship and gotten herself pregnant. And to see them jeer at her and revile her and make fun of her as she leaves, it shows you just how difficult sometimes being in the center of God's will is. She couldn't explain it. Well, you see, there was an angel and this is God's son. Mary, you're 13 years old. Would you please stop making stuff up? It was going to be like that for her. I wonder for us, what kind of hardship have you faced because you've been in the center of God's will? I'll say this, and I don't mean this to be a a, a blanket statement, but in some cases, if you've not experienced any hardship or any sort of difficulty or any tough choices to make in your life between God's will and what everybody else is doing, If you've never had those moments where you've had to make that tough call, I'm going to live this way instead of that way, then odds are you're not following Jesus real close. I don't say that as a judgmental statement. I think it's just basic fact that it's going to come down to a point sometime, a choice between the world and Jesus. And if I choose Jesus, I'm choosing against what the world wants me to do, everybody else and so on. And it may get difficult For Mary, it was going to involve some very difficult things. Now, I'm not talking about creating unnecessary hardship in your life. Don't go be that Christian who just, you know, wants to grind on everybody and you're going to cause problems. Well, hey, I'm being tortured, you know, and persecuted. Well, you you created the whole mess, right? Yeah, but, you know, Jesus said, blessed are those when people make fun of you for me. That's not what I'm talking about is creating on your own. But when it happens just because your lifestyle, understand that just because hardship comes doesn't mean that you're not in the middle of God's will anymore. Sometimes the hardship comes because we're in the middle of God's will. Mary learned that the center of God's will is the best place to be, even when she was afraid, even when it seemed impossible, even though it was bigger than her, and even though it brought hardship. It's in the center of God's will that we, we experience the presence of God most. That, that we hear from the Holy Spirit most. That we get joy from God that can't be attained from any other source. And the question then is, how do you find God's will? 
Mary had an angel show up. What do you do? I think just in general, there are some things, some steps I would take to advise you. As you walk in the way of the master, as you say, you know what, I want to get on board with what God wants to do in my life. They're just very simple. They won't be on the screen or anything. You just take some notes if you want to. I mean, as silly as it sounds, I think you have to want to know God's will for your life. I mean, I think you have to say, God, I really, I want you to show me what is it, God, that you want me to do. I think you got to be available. Say, God, I'm available for you to do in my life whatever it is you want to do. There are so many Christians, and I think in America we're the worst about it. God, it's cool if you want to do some things in my life, but man, don't mess up this over here because I got it just the way I want it right now. And God, if it's cool with you, just like leave that alone and then let's work over here on this stuff, you know, like my attitude and things, that'll be fine if you can work on that. But don't change what I'm doing for a living because I really like that and it's good money right now. Don't just leave that alone. Yeah, that's how we handle it. I mean, I, I say that because I, you know, I, I know I do the same stuff and we compartmentalize. I think you just be available to God, whatever it is you want, you do in my life, go. I would start in his word. I, I, you know, again, I, I, Tim Scott and I have talked several times about the, the Bible app and the reading plans that are available there. And Tim, we, we talked about it. Tim's been one after another, after another, after another. We're just rolling through. I don't know how it is that you need to get involved in the scripture. But read the scripture. You want to know God's will for your life? He's revealed it in 66 books that he wrote to us to help us understand who he is and what he wants. Get into God's word. If you'd like to talk some more about that, let me know. I'll be hanging out after the service there in the back. Come on back there. We'll talk about where should you start and all that kind of stuff. I would also highly encourage you to pray. And again, this stuff is just so simple, but it's, it, we have to be reminded of these things. Because we get to a point, I've been a Christian for, for 30 years and I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and I've got some advanced degrees and the whole deal. Man, I'm, I'm a professional Christian. You know what I mean? And I'm going to tell you, the hardest things for me to do is to go back and say, God, I'm available. Lord, I'm going to read your word to find out who you are and what you want. And God, I'm going to pray, not pray so that people will fill the front rows of the chair so it will justify the fact that we bought them. That's not what I'm saying. You know, I'm going to pray, Lord, that you will work on my heart so that you will do in my life what you want. It's hard for me to do that. I say that. That's why I give you these reminders. Yeah, I, I would encourage you to put yourself around some mature and growing Christians. We've got lots of folks like that here. They're not perfect. They're not at all. None of us are. We've got some folks that love Jesus and have been walking with Him for quite a while now. And especially if you're a young person, I know that, that it's, you, know, you have to fake it and appear like you know everything that's going on in the world. I get all that stuff. That never ends, by the way. You never grow out of that. You still have to fake it as you get older for whatever reason. But don't fake a walk with Jesus. I don't mean that. Don't act like you're not. You're walking with him when you're not. I just mean don't fake like you don't need any help along the way. Get around some people that are walking with him. But once you know the will of God, once you begin to understand, okay, I, I believe this is how God wants me to do this. This is how God wants me to live. As the, the word in the title says, let me just encourage you to submit to it. I mean, give yourself totally over to it. Look what Mary says in verse 38. I'm the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. If you got up every morning and you prayed that prayer, that she said to the angel, if you just quoted Luke chapter 1 verse 38, 
in the morning, God, I'm your slave. I am your servant. Put me in the center of your will today. I wonder what would change in your life. I wonder what would change in your heart. I wonder what would change in your attitude and all those things. Mary just says, look, there's no conditions. There's no reservations. I don't even know all that this is going to bring. But God, I know this is your will for my life. And so, so be it. What if you prayed that prayer? Mary then, and and I won't take the time to read these verses, but I sort of alluded to this earlier. She submitted to it, and you know what she did? She just started getting around then some godly people that would help her along the way. She went to visit her cousin, who was a godly woman, and had followed the Lord her whole life. And and she just said, look, I need to go visit with my cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was able to encourage her and to build her up and to help her. You need to be around people like that. I would encourage you, highly encourage you, to get around the kind of people that spur you on when it comes to your Christian walk. To say, absolutely, that's what you need to be doing. Good job. And I would also encourage you maybe to be that person for somebody else, especially our young people. You know, after church, a lot of times after you all clear out, there are three or four families that kind of wrapping things up and doing stuff. And and if if my children are in here too, do you know what the kids are doing? They're, they're playing. I'm just going to tell you up front. They climb over the pews. They go under the pews. They walk on top of the pews. They get back up in here in the baptistry. And they they get in. They, my, my daughter asked me, Nora, she said, Daddy, can I go get in the baptistry? Well, absolutely. Go ahead. We'll fill it up if you want to, you know. <laughs> but I say all that not to make light or anything of a, of a, of, of a, a place that becomes a sacred place when God meets with us here. But you know what? I I just want our church to be about young people and say, you know what? You're welcome here. You you are welcome to be yourself here. You're welcome to have some fun here. It's okay here. We want you to be here. We need to be those kind of people in that kind of church, especially for our young folks. You know, that's why when I get up here, I, hey, you know what? I'm going to have some fun with the kids and make some faces at them and do some stupid stuff. Why? Because I want them to be here. It's not just me, but I know you're the same way. We need to be those kind of godly people for them. And then in verse, in verse 56, you don't, have, you don't have it on your handout, but let me just read it to you. Mary found out what God's will for her life was. She submitted to it. She went to somebody who could reinforce that for her. And it says in verse 56, Mary stayed with her about three months, and then she returned to her home. She just got started doing what God had told her to do. I can't can't emphasize enough that if you want to know God's will, start doing God's will. If you want to know more about what God's will is, start doing God's will. Whether it's to repent or it's to pray, or it's to pick up your Bible, or it's to start a habit, or it's to talk to somebody, or whatever it is, start doing God's will, and you'll know more about what God's will is. What God was doing in Mary's life really, I think, comes down to kind of a couple of words. In verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I believe God's will for your life is that God would come upon you and overshadow you in a way that you've never experienced before. And His will for your life is not going to play out for you exactly like it did for Mary. 
But I think his will for your life is the same as it was for her. And that is that Jesus would invade every part of your life, that you would surrender all of it to him, even when you're afraid, even when it's difficult, even when it's bigger than you, and that he would overwhelm and overshadow you until you're fully submitted to him so that you'll follow his ultimate will, and that is to be conformed to what Jesus is like. I could try to explain all of God's will for your life in complicated terms, but I really believe it just comes down to he wants to make you like Jesus. And his question for you today is, will you say yes, or will you hesitate and say, I'm not sure? None of us here in church today are going to admit that we'd say no. So it's either going to be yes or a hesitation. And I wonder for you, which is the answer? What answer would you give to the angel if the angel showed up and you knew this is God's will, and yet you know here's all that's going to come with it. Would you say what Mary said, Lord, I'm your slave, let it be done to me according to your word, or would you just say, look, can you get back with me? I need to think about this a little bit. And if you're right now saying, I'm I'm not so sure, would you just hear the invitation this morning, not from me, but from God's Holy Spirit, to say, you know what, it's time to say yes. It's time to say, Lord, I am your servant. You do in me, you do through me, you do around me. Whatever it is you need to do, I'm giving it all to you. God's will for your life is that Jesus would invade you in such a way that you would submit and just be more like him. A complicated thing it may seem made very simple. God's will for your life is just like Mary, that he would overwhelm, overshadow you, and make you like Jesus. What will be your answer? Let's pray together.